Good morning, church, or if you're watching this at another time of the day, whatever time of the day it is to you, hello. Uh, it is great to have you with us. My name is Dave. I'm part of the team here at Hills, and it is a joy to be able to gather and uh, worship and get around the Word of God um, any time of the day, any day of the week, but particularly on Sunday morning. So I'm excited this morning. I, uh, I'm excited because today we are starting a brand new series um, on the life of Jeremiah. Someone just got excited in their own home and maybe even touched the person next to them without me even telling them to, saying, yes, I've never heard a series on the life of Jeremiah. Well, get excited. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Uh, and notice that I said life, not book. Uh, we are looking at uh, the life and the encounters of Jeremiah with God. And we're calling this series Running with Horses, Running with Horses. And um, as, we, uh, as we look at the life of Jeremiah, I think this, there's a, an interaction that I had probably years and years ago with one of a, a spiritual hero of mine, a, a spiritual mentor. And I remember him preaching at a particular conference. It wasn't his church. He was at a conference and he, uh, he preached a cracking sermon. By now he was into his 70s. He was retired. He was past that age of, of running a church. Uh, and if you are not aware, preachers love a bit of feedback. Um, when you invest time, when you invest energy, when you're seeking God and you feel like you've got a word from God and then you bring that word, it's really uh, nice when you can hear if that word has landed or not. Uh, and this preacher was no different to any others of us. And I remember he came off the stage after preaching this great sermon. And he said to the pastor of the church and he said, well, how was that? Uh, did that? Did that land? Like, Was God on that as I felt like God was on that? And, uh, and I remember this pastor said something really significant. He, he looked at this man who now, as I said, was in his 70s, had lived an incredible life. And he said, brother, your words were great. But please understand me. It's not your words as much as it is your life that is your message. And that message is dazzling. And I think as we broach this amazing life of Jeremiah, if Jeremiah was to walk into the room with that pastor, I think that pastor would say the same thing of him. Because the life, the book, um, the story of Jeremiah is incredible. The, the, the book of Jeremiah is, by word count, the second longest book in the Old Testament. Uh, 52 chapters long. It's a, it's a phenomenal book. Um, but there's a heck of a lot of meat on that thing and that meat has to be slow cooked in order to do it justice and we are trying to cover this in, in nine or so weeks and so as we dive into this, we realise that within the, the book of Jeremiah, it's actually after 20 years of preaching, after 20 years of, uh, of, of ministering to the nation of, of Judah, uh, God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down, I want you to record the sermons, the, the prophecies, the poems. We want you to write these down and record them. So Jeremiah uh, employs the services of a scribe named Baruch. And Baruch works to record all these things, but he does more than that. Baruch, in the process of compiling the works of Jeremiah, actually records some of the 
the life of Jeremiah and the interactions that Jeremiah has with God and the encounters with God and how that shapes Jeremiah. And so when you go to the book of Jeremiah, what you see is that it's not actually very easy to follow. It's not chronological at all. It's just this collection. It reads like an anthology. And for those of you out there who don't know what an anthology is, think a greatest hits album. Uh, It's a greatest hits album which has uh, interlaced in it the story of when those hits were written. And so this is what we see in the, in the book of Jeremiah and why it is that we are going to focus on the life and the encounters of God with Jeremiah. Because in the midst of the whole story is this powerful, incredible, remarkable life that has so much to say to us in this moment. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1 and we're going to... We're going to see that Jeremiah is a man called by God to be a mouthpiece to the nations. We're going to see that Jeremiah is a man called by God to be uh, an iron pillar, it says, to be a fortified city, to be a bronze wall that stands against the nation of Judah. But there's something incredible about this man. Because while God has called him and equipped him and empowered him to be this voice, and if you look at his life, you see that, yet his words are filled with vulnerability and fragility. His words show weakness and they show pain and they show discouragement and despair. And so what is it about Jeremiah that despite his struggles, despite his wrestles with his call, despite the incredible battle that was ministering in Judah in that season. What is it about him that kept him going, that enabled him to be that iron pillar? And we get an insight into it in chapter 12, which is sort of the overarching verse for this whole series where Jeremiah is is complaining to God. He's complaining to God about the situation, about the circumstance, about the fact that he'd been called by God to preach and teach and that nobody was listening, that his family had rejected, him that the nation had rejected him that he was suffering in pain he's complaining about the fact that the wicked are prospering and God says something to him God comes to him in this moment and he says this Jeremiah if you're worn out in this foot race with men what makes you think you can run with horses Jeremiah if you're tired already of the ministry and the call that I have set before you What makes you think that you are going to be able to stand up when the heat is really on? If you are melting under just the the fire of the candle, what makes you think when the fire of Babylon comes through this nation that you're still going to be able to stand? And God's just saying, mate, this is child's play at the moment. It hasn't even begun yet. And I've got a call for you to be more than what you are right now. How do you think if you're struggling now, are you possibly going to to live and and to be powerful and to stay the course and to not fall down then? And he frames it this beautiful way. How are you going to be able to run with horses? And as we go through the life of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah doesn't give a verbal answer and God doesn't give a verbal answer. He just goes on with the call. But as you examine the life, you see something. You see that by the empowering spirit of God, in the end, despite his struggles, he did. Jeremiah ran with horses. Jeremiah ran with horses and he did it in the darkest days of Judah's history. A call that began under the reign of the faithful king Josiah. 
endured four faithless kings, saw the destruction of the mighty city Jerusalem, saw the nation of Judah exiled into Babylon, saw rejection, saw despair, saw heartache, and yet Jeremiah, in all of his battle, ran with horses. He fought the good fight. He stayed the course. He never once compromised the gospel that he was called to proclaim. He never once gave in to his culture. He never once uh, settled. He never once said, do you know what, stuffer, I'm just going to do what all these other preachers are doing and just cruise into a comfortable life, preaching what these people want to hear. No, Jeremiah, when all the other preachers in the land were serving up words that the people would swallow, he just kept on serving the, the meat that God had given him to eat. This is what Jeremiah did. He stayed the course. He ran with horses despite all the pressures to conform. He uncompromisingly went about the conviction of his call. How did he do it? How did he run with horses? And here's the thing, God would have the same thing for us. We too are called to run with horses. We too are called to stay the course. We too are called not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We too are called to run with conviction. And we've got lessons that we can learn through Jeremiah. And as we study the biography scattered between the records of his sermons and the poems, scattered between all the works of the 52 chapters of Jeremiah, is insight into how we can run with horses. And we're going to begin in chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles or you can look at the screen there, we're going to go there now. And what we're going to see is just a couple of ways that Jeremiah resists this temptation for apathy, that Jeremiah resists his temptation to go about the way of the world in that he was centered and that he was sent. Let's have a look at it now. Jeremiah chapter one, we're going to start and we're going to start from verse four to 10. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Then we're going to jump to verse 17, where God says this, Get ready, stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. What an amazing first chapter 
What an amazing way to start your ministry, having God come and speak into that. And what I want to show us today, what I feel like God's leading us to, is I want you to see how did Jeremiah run with horses? How did he persist? How did he push in? It's because of what he was centred in. What he was centred in. He was centred in the promise of God. Friends, we are living in a pandemic of global proportions right now, and I'm not talking about the coronavirus. What I'm talking about is the identity crisis. What I'm talking about is the fact that we have an entire nation, we have a whole world at the moment that is basing its identity on its popularity, that's basing its identity on its position, that's basing its identity on, uh, on its wealth. We have an entire world that is, that is not centred or grounded in truth, but is basing its, its reason for existence on what it can get and what it can do. Do you know, we were watching Play School the other day as a family, and uh, my children may or may not have been watching it as they were getting a bit older, but sometimes as parents, when you've enjoyed Play School for a number of years, you just need to touch in with Teo and Justine and the crew and, and just check and see that things are still going well. So we were watching it, and they were sitting on the floor, uh, but one thing that I found fascinating about this episode was the lady who was the host of the show, she was getting upset. The whole show was about the fact that she was struggling. She was becoming emotional because she was trying to do something and it wasn't working. And she was getting flustered and her breathing was out of control and she was in, you know, really angry. And so the other guy came over and he said, oh, what's going on? And what he did, he goes, oh, let's get the breathing ball. And he grabbed the breathing ball and he told her, let's take a deep breath. And out with the breathing ball. And I was just sitting there going, oh, come on. What is going on in our world right now? Like breathing is good. Strategies are good. But what we, we're having to teach two-year-olds this idea of mindfulness in order to recognize their emotions. And we're teaching a strategy to our world to deal with a problem that the strategy is just a band-aid. It goes so much deeper. The problem is that we have lost that sense of identity. The problem is that we're becoming so attuned to our emotions that we're becoming so overwhelmed by our emotions that we're basing uh, our our the way that we're operating in the world on our feelings, that we've lost the fact that we need to just stand on truth, that we need to know who we are. We have an older generation that is basing uh, their existence on how many likes they can get on a phone. Even as pastors right now, if you're a pastor checking in, it's so easy to be tripped up by the number of eyes in the corner of a screen. How many people are watching us? How many people are engaging? Is that the value and the sum of what this is worth? And the answer is no. The answer is that there is a promise of God about our nature and that, is, that defines our identity. And Jeremiah, through all of his ups and downs, through all of his emotional upheaval, never once did God come to him with a breathing ball and say, now let's just breathe, Jeremiah. Let's just focus, Jeremiah. No, what he did, he said, mate, he goes, this is child's play. If you're going to run with horses, you need to come back to the call. You need to come back to the promise. You need to come back to the truth of who you are in me. And the promise of God is that your identity, that you need to be centered, not in the events of the world, not in the ups and downs of feelings, not in whether or not you think you are being successful in your undertakings in life, but you need to be centered in the promise of God that before a word was on your lips, he knew you. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I 
knew you. I knew you. I formed you. I formed you, Jeremiah. And God would look to you right now through this screen and he would say, I formed you. Guess what? You are not just a random collection of atoms bouncing against each other that happened to evolve into a cellular mass that we now call life. No, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are loved by a creator God. He saw you before you were, he imagined you and he painstakingly created you and developed you and and brought you into being that you might live for his glory and in his love. And we have a world that's being taught that they have no intrinsic value, that they have no intrinsic worth, and so therefore they are broken, therefore anxiety is crashing in on them because they don't know whose they are. We need breathing balls to centre ourselves and focus on our inner being when what we should be doing is focusing on whose we are. Who made us? Who formed us? Who loved us? You know, in my household, we have tantrums all the time when something that someone has painstakingly created gets ruined by another person. And that's just me, not even my kids. You should see the tantrums that happen when someone's been drawing or creating or, or building and someone else just haphazardly comes and destroys that thing. And I started thinking about, well, how do you think God feels about the way that we mistreat ourselves and the way that we mistreat others? God must be grieving this generation that doesn't know whose it is, that doesn't know who it is. You know, I found out just the other day that there's 50 million abortions happening every year. Beautiful creations of God that are being destroyed at a whim. Because our world has lost its centre. We have forsaken and forgotten that God is the one who forms us and that God is the one who knows us. And this was a revelation in my life probably 10 years ago where I rocked up at my uncle's 70th birthday party. And I remember rocking up and normally when you have a conversation with someone, when you're first meeting someone, you shake their hand, you say, G'day mate, I'm Dave. And they go, oh, g'day, Dave, I'm Barry. And the first question that normally gets asked in our culture is, so what do you do? But when I was at this party, what's happened was something very foreign to me because instead of saying, what do you do? This person was like, I was like, g'day, mate, how are you? And he's like, oh, g'day, you know, I'm Barry. And the thing he said, he goes, now, Dave, he goes, whose boy are you? Whose boy are you? And in that moment, I was like, whoa, that's a really interesting way to view the world. And actually, that's how we should view the world. Because what he was saying was, Dave, I actually don't care about what you can do. I don't care what you bring to the world. I don't care. Your value and your identity is not summed up in your impact or influence. It is determined by your ancestry. And because you're Bill's boy, and because Bill was Alan's boy, that means that you have value. And I felt like God whispered on that and he said you are mine because you are my boy you have value it is not determined your value is not determined by the impact you can have in your field of excellence it's not determined as a preacher by the impact you have as a preacher no your value is intrinsically determined because you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a loving almighty creator God someone better be saying amen in their home right now 
That is where your worth is. You know, as a staff at the moment, we're putting together a top 10 list of books that we want to send out, books that have impacted us and influenced us. And I'm the only one who hasn't done it yet. I have done it, but I haven't sent it through because the number one book that I have is a Max Licato book for children that says, you are special, you are mine. You're one of a kind. And I'm like, I can't, I can't like send that list through with that being my number one book because all of you are going to think I'm taking the liquid. But the truth is I'm not. And now that I'm here and I can share this, sometimes the most influential, impactful things is just the simplest gospel. And for me, as I, when I first became a parent, I'd sit there with my kids and we'd read this story over and over and over again. You are special. You are mine. You are one of a kind. And I'm wrestling with all the insecurity of how the heck am I going to train these kids in the way they should go? How am I going to see these people to be raised up as powerful believers of Jesus Christ impacting the generations? And God was just saying, you are special, you are mine, you are one of a kind. And as I was speaking that into them, that actually doesn't matter what they do, it's who they are. He said the same thing to me. And he's saying the same thing to you. Your value, your identity, your worth is determined in whose you are. Whose boy, whose girl are you? You are God's. He bought you at a price. He made you. You are created in Christ Jesus. He loves you. And that is the foundation. That is the thing that you need to be centered on. If you want to run with horses, if you want to resist the temptations of this world just to settle, to be apathetic, just to go about pleasing the ways of this world, if you want to stand firm on the foundation of God, that foundation must be the fact that you are centered in the promise of your true identity in Christ. You are His. And then we see the second thing. The second thing is that we are centered, Jeremiah in this case is centered in purpose. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Not only was Jeremiah centered in his identity and the promise of God about that, he was centered in the fact that he was created for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race. Somebody say chosen. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John 15, 16. I'm just going to keep hitting you with some scripture. For you did not choose me, but I chose, somebody say chose, you. And appointed you that you would would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Jeremiah was centered in purpose and the call call of God for our lives is that we would be too. And you say, Dave, I don't know my purpose. That's been my question. God, what's my purpose? What am I called to do? Yes, you do. You do have a purpose. It's not about what your actual hands do. It's about bearing fruit. That is why you exist, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works. It's to bear fruit. That is your purpose. I love what um, Colossians 3.17 is. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In whatever you do, if you are centered in your identity in Christ, if you're confident in who you are in him, if you know that you've been created in him, 
to bear fruit, then it doesn't matter if you're preaching, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, it doesn't matter if you're building air conditioning duct systems, it doesn't matter if you're a novelist, it doesn't matter if you're a carpenter, it doesn't matter what you're doing, when you are focused and centered on that foundation that you exist to bear fruit, I promise you, in wherever you are serving, God will open kingdom doors and kingdom conversations. You will bear fruit when you are living centered in your identity in Him and the purpose to which He has called you, to go and bear fruit. Jeremiah knew who he was and he knew that he was created for a purpose. And with that as his centre, with that as his foundation, despite all the emotions, despite all the waves that crashed against him, despite everything that he suffered in his life, he kept on running. And so can you. And then we see something else that happens because not only does God centre him, but he sends him. So God centres him and he centres us, but then he sends us. And I want you to see something about the nature and the way that he sends us because this is not a blind willy-nilly sending. This is a, not a, yeah, off you go champ, get on with it. No, 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 no. There is a power in the way that God sends. Let's read it again, Jeremiah 1, just 6 to 10. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. And that could easily go out to some of you who are retired and you're saying, well, I'm too old to do this. No, you are not. There is nowhere in scripture that says once you hit the age of 65, that you're just supposed to sit down as a saint of God and not do anything. No, you keep serving the purpose of bearing fruit for the kingdom until the day the Lord calls you home. You are not too young. You are not too old. You are not too busy. You are not too whatever it is you want to put there. If God has centered you and God has called you, then God is sending you. Go and bear fruit. And now I love what God says to him. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid for I am the Lord with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Watch this. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth and said, I put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God centers Jeremiah in the unshakable, infallible truth of who he is, and then he empowers him to fulfill that purpose in the places he is sending him with authority. When God sends, he sends with authority. We go in the authority of Christ. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and fulfill your purpose to make disciples. Friends, we too are empowered. Mark preached on this just last week about the disciples. There they were, broken, confused, afraid, hiding in an upper room. And the Spirit of God comes on them. And then they go out and they transform the world as we know it today. Not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. If you are in Christ... You are sent and you are empowered by the Spirit of God. You're empowered to fulfill your purpose. Jeremiah carries the weight of God's authority and as disciples of Jesus, so do we. Go in the authority of God. This is, you are not on your own. 
God makes a way in the wilderness. He is preparing the path before you. He has poured out his anointing and his authority on you to go and do the very things he has called you to do. I love what Eugene Peterson says about this. This is awesome. He says, what is God doing? He is saving. He is rescuing. He is blessing. He is providing. He is judging. He is healing. He's enlightening. There is a spiritual war in progress, an all-out moral battle. There is evil and cruelty, unhappiness and illness. There is superstition and ignorance, brutality and pain. God is in continuous and energetic battle against all of it. God is for life and against death. God is for love and against hate. God is for hope and against despair. God is for heaven and against hell. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square foot of space is contested. Jeremiah was called and so are we. We either take up the life to which we have been set apart or we traitorously defect from it. When we know who we are in Christ, when we know that our identity is in our ancestry, not in our capacity, when we know that we are all sons of God, There's neither male nor female, female, sickly and Jew, slave or free. No, we are all sons of God. We all walk in the inheritance of Christ. We're all heirs of the promise. And when we know that, and we know that we've been created with the purpose of bearing fruit, we know that God is sending us, but he's sending us with his authority, the authority that says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So we run with perseverance. We run the race marked out for us. Just this morning, I was reading from Paul. He ran, he persevered, he pressed on like Jeremiah. He ran with the horses. Why? Because God had ordained his path. God was with him. God never forsook him. And God empowered him to achieve the purpose for which he was sent, to go and bear fruit. And the last thing that we see, and I'm going to invite the band up, The last thing they see is that in the sending is assurance. 17 and 19, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people. And they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. You might feel powerless, but the God who sends you is powerful. You might feel weak, but the God who sends you is mighty. You might feel helpless, but the God who sends you will give you hope. I'm telling you that God does not send without an assurance that all things work together for the good for those who love Him. God is building His church. God is growing His kingdom. And when we walk that thin line, when we say, God, I'm going to give my everything to You. I'm going to lay my life down for You. I'm going to humble myself before You and I'm going to surrender it all to You. We know that God is faithful to His call. He will do it, He says in the book of James. He will bring His work to completion. That is the assurance 
That is the assurance that Jeremiah had as he was preaching to the nation of Judah and he was warning them of the terrors to come if they did not repent. And in the midst of all those terrors, in the midst of the city that he loved, the city of God being destroyed and the people that he loved being carted off to exile, in the midst of all of this stuff, Jeremiah had the assurance of God's presence, God's faithfulness and the hope that was to be revealed. And over the next eight weeks, we're gonna have a look at this. We're gonna look at this hope that in the midst of despair, in the midst of everything Jeremiah and the nation of Judah was going through, God did not leave him without hope. And the same is true for you. Whatever you are going through right now, wherever you are at, there is hope because God is faithful and true. He is true and His promise and His assurance is found for us in an old rugged cross, a cross that splits time, a cross that is smeared with the blood of the Saviour so that we might know whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. And that in Him is life and life forevermore. So why don't we stand to our feet wherever we are and we want to pray. And I pray for our church, pray for you and trust that as we surrender ourselves to Christ, as we centre ourselves in Him and as we allow Him to send us into the world to go and bear fruit, that you would go in the assurance of faith, that you would go in the assurance of a sovereign God who holds you and in the authority of the name of Jesus to which every knee will bow. Every knee will bow whether in this life or the next, every knee will bow and confess that He is Lord. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are good. Father, we thank You for the life of Jeremiah. Father, we thank You for this man who was so human, who was so real, who wrestled and struggled with the call that You put upon his life. But we thank You that in that wrestle, in that struggle is the assurance of hope. In that struggle is the promise that as we centre ourselves, not on the ways of this world, but as we centre ourselves on the truth that we are Yours, that we are known by name, that we are called by name, that we are formed, that we are created in Christ, that we've been given a purpose when we centre ourselves on those things, then by your power, we will not be shaken. We will not be taken from your grasp. And we will run the race marked out for us. We will run as Jeremiah did with horses. And Father, for anyone out there tuning in for the first time who doesn't know this hope, we pray now, Lord, that you would captivate their heart that they would come to a place of repentance. They would come to a place of trusting in you with their life, of saying, I've tried everything else. All of it has failed me. I am being blown from here to there. My emotions have the better of me. I've lost my way. We pray that they, that you would centre them on the powerful truth that they are loved by a Creator God. 
We love you, Lord. We praise you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're someone who just prayed that prayer for the first time, if you said, that's me, I'm all over the place. The breathing's not working. The band-aid's fallen off. The strategy was nice for a while, but it's let me down. I need a deeper centre. I need a, a stronger pillar. I need a firm foundation. If that's you and you prayed that prayer and you said, I want Jesus to be that foundation, bless you. We love you. We're with you. Please let us know. Please send us a message. Uh, either connect to our Connect card, which we have a link there at the bottom of the screen or uh, message us privately on Facebook and one of our team will get in contact with you and begin a journey with you of discipling you and encouraging you in the faith. So we love you and uh, we're praying for you this week. May you go knowing that you are centred and sent in the power and the assurance of an almighty God. Amen. Let's worship. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.